Shopamaniacs, you listening to the Shop Talk Show. Bound Chicken Deck Bound Dave Rupert with Miss Chris Coyier. <coughs> We're going to get sued <laughs> by the band. 311 is 311 episodes. Shop Only like their Chris. early work. Uh, hi. Hey, what are we doing here today? I don't know. I was working on a bug and I was like, this is like dev confessions in that. When you have a bug and you're pretty sure you know why and what commit it went out in, that isn't the correct thing to do to roll back before the commit, push that so it's not broken anymore, then fix it, and then push out the new thing that's fixed and not broken. That's like the correct workflow. But my, my, my emotional state is like, I don't want to roll back. I want to figure out why it's broken because I don't understand why. And then I'm going to fix it. And then I'm going to push the fix. Oh, I think you're supposed to copy and paste the previous uh, commit into the new commit. <laughs> oh, it, that's, that's the way to fix it. You just kind of copy paste from two commits ago and yeah, it's easy. There you go. Uh, yeah, I had a situation, uh, was getting up and going on a project and, you know, I I stared at a blank command line typing hopelessly for like three days. Like I was trying to like, it is an Angular project? I don't think Angular was the problem specifically, but it was like, okay, I'm going to type yeah. ng serve. That's how you spin up the server. And I would just got cannot get the root. And it was like, what? <laughs> what, what, why, you know, if for like three days and I tried everything and, I, and I'm pretty good at computers, Chris, I, I do a podcast, um, about computers. I, I was so like, I was just like, maybe this is the universe here telling me, uh, I'm done. You know, you're done. Computers got too good for you. You're done. And, you know, eventually figured out it was like spaces in the directory name. were just causing everything to just tanker. Like, and that was kind of my fault. Like I should have recognized that, but then it was also like, I just pulled the re clone, the repo and it put the spaces in. So fix that. But then it was like, there was like another issue with like another like thing I had to like compile and it wasn't compiling correctly. And then I had to like, you know, I needed like no G G Y P in there. And I just was like, ah, ah. So it's, it's, I, I don't know if I'm a pro or against for or against this new uh like <laughs> this new dependency help where you just have all these things that you like th you can be like stalled out for days on on getting something up and going i don't know i'm lamenting here on the podcast but that's been my like that's my bug report that's my bug report is i i stared at a command line for like 3 days <laughs> oh Hey, welcome to the exciting world of building websites. <laughs> hey, what do we got here, Chris, on episode 311? Roller coaster. <laughs> well, Sam Dowd wrote in, um, wondering about the future. Uh, we did some, I don't know, thinking and guessing about the future in episode 300 and 301, I think. Uh, and, and Sam was thinking about it too. Thinking about a decade, decade out, do you think we'll still be worried about basically file size will we still be counting kilobytes per se so like you know with computer computing power and bandwidth increasing rapidly and outpacing data needs in my opinion i feel like it will quickly fade from being a critical consideration for developers 
Um, I think you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably in strong disagree camp too. But um, isn't there a pair? Didn't Dave? You put together some like rules of computering blog post recently that was really neat. I feel like there's probably a rule of kilobytes in there somewhere. I got you, BB. The eponymous laws of tech. Uh, the first one, Andy and Bill's law. What Andy giveth, Bill taketh. Uh, this is in uh, related to Andy Grove of Intel would release a better processor, and then Bill Gates would immediately consume all the new power of that new processor. So uh, it's kind of like uh, if we if the internet gets faster, we will immediately consume it with like more bigger data sets and big beefy things. Like we'll try to do more, you know, like like the second everyone all got broadband, what do we do? YouTube, Netflix, like we're just doing video, 4k video all the time. Like the, the second we have like right. bandwidth. And sometimes the needs it. jump ahead of it. Like when retina comes out and we're like, what we need four times bigger images. That's something. And isn't it, it's kind of true that yes, bandwidth increases, but that's certainly not true all over the world. And sometimes they're, you know, in some parts of the world, they're just getting internet. It's certainly not screaming fast data issues there it will get faster over time but i don't we don't have a lot of data that suggests how how quickly and how that's incentivized through business or what you know i, I don't think it's going to slow down but i don't know what the what the speed up is going to be 10 years feels like a long time but isn't really that long for i don't know for just for a global rollout of 3x faster internet 5g yeah 5G. i don't know that that's going to happen although it would be cool to, to to be cool to see it and then even if it does the point is we'll just start gobbling it up way higher i you know, i just saw uh, at front end design conference recently a kind of a classic uh, ethan marcotte talk where he talked about you know that it was brought up at some point that the that the you know, how fast computers get faster isn't the bandwidth law does not follow it. I forget how exactly how he worded it, but bandwidth okay. isn't getting exponentially faster. It doesn't follow that normal kind of curve of like bandwidth. Moore's law yeah, where it right. just gets goes, goes, goes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, there's uh, I mean, we're kind of, what, what do we, we're, we're about to cross the, what is it? I, I'm blank. Maybe I'm, I'm, Okay, there's been a change into the like uh how how like it the like average web page size, but we're we're at like two megs for the average web page right now. So Yeah, there was a bunch um, of talks about it because people use that data in talks ad nauseum. Every talk mm-hmm. in the world that had anything to do with performance had like this obligatory intro where they showed graphs and charts of how fast websites were increasing in size over time, and there was one really good data source for it. And then all of a sudden it like took a dive and now it's like saying like 1.4 megabytes or something, but it's because they, te- they changed their testing methodology to change what From browser. IE to Chrome and it yeah. changed everything. Yeah. Which is tricky. Cause like, why does, why do, isn't like an HTML document that references a bunch of assets? Why is that different from browser to browser? So it feels like extra fishy to me. But, but so here's what I'll also say. So getting kind of more um, sciencey here, uh, kilobytes and, and megabytes, like if you're just like, oh, I'm going to send megabytes of images and, or, you know, gigabytes of images and, and megabytes of JavaScript down and whatever, things get better, right? 
Well, there, there's a thing happening on the mobile side of things, and you can follow Alex Russell um, for slightly late on Twitter, slightly late, and and he has a blog infrequently late. Um, and anyway, he in in a recent post, um, let me go to it infrequently late com or something but he has a, a recent post that that's like how uh how fast is fast enough um and not infrequently late.com anyway sorry i'm blanking <laughs> alex russell blog Ale- okay i'm live googling kind of our specialty on the show we need like live googling music yeah i'm gonna have chris infrequently.org don't use the clown car music use something else Here you go. Can you afford it? The real world uh, web performance budgets. So what's happening on the mobile side of things is they're opting. It's like a four core processor, but it's a worse processor. Like the architecture of it has like a small L three cache or whatever. And so it's, it's, it's not like a good processor. The, the, processors that are in your computer are getting kind of worse or in your phone are getting kind of they're they're faster but they're also like worse they're 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 trying to optimize for battery and use less power which you can do that by having like a smaller architecture but then they're also just kind of using like older chips and 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 you know they're just reducing the power and and so you have less computing power in that super device on your phone and so if you send anything like very large you know over and he kind of says like 200 kilobytes of javascript if you send more than that like the the phone starts chugging like and, and there's going to be a noticeable user experience dock like tick so while bandwidth is increasing in computer power theoretically is increasing. It's actually not getting super better. And you can even look at the Mac pro, like the MacBook pro line, like it's probably getting better on benchmarks, but like just because they're like making it smaller and thinner and things like that, making the battery last longer. The, the MacBook pro from like, like five, seven, eight years ago is almost the same computer processing wise as a brand new one, because it's just kind of has like, it, it, it's just like similar power consumption to computing, you know, like power. So that said, I don't think things are getting like super much better. There may be like a breakthrough in quantum computing and, and you know, things like that and machine learning. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever get better, better. So, or, or like it's going to be a bumpy ride, I guess is what I want to say. I think that the <clears throat> the divide between the super fast and the super slow is going to widen. Mm-hmm. So Mike Riley, I guess, writes in a little accessibility question here. I know you're not generally supposed to remove the outline from a focusable element, but does the same rule apply when adding a tab index to a modal so that you can give it focus when there's an event that opens it? I don't want a user tabbing through the page to see that outline around the hidden element containing the modal, is it awkward for a user tabbing through to notice the skipped outline on that hidden element? There's a lot. This is this is weird. I, I think I could t- try, but you try first. Yeah, okay. So they've like display none a modal 
uh, on the page, and when when you click a button, the modal is undisplay none and shows up kind of in the user's face. And when you do that, you want to focus on the modal. You want to say, "Do you know, okay, or do you don't you want to focus on like something useful inside the modal?" Well, if you had like like yeah, you want to, well, I think you give it to the modal and kind of it'll announce like modal. You're looking at a dialogue, and it's blah, probably blah, blah. a div, so it needs a tab index to be focusable. Tab index at all. to be focusable, and so I, what I would do is I would probably tab index like what is it? Tab index negative one. So it's skipped from the tab index until you being, if it's display none, it doesn't even need that though. Really? Yeah. Well, it should be like gone, but I don't think you need like a focus state on the modal because like visual focus, and this is my opinion. I'm not an accessibility expert. They may like, you should <laughs> like, you've already styled the thing to pop up and be centered. And like, that's a pretty strong focus style already. It's a visual focus, right? Like, and, and so you're in accessibility. It's not just, you know, it's not just screen reader focus. That's not what the only thing you're trying to do in tab and keyboard. Your the visual focus too is like, okay, now I do have a visual focus. That thing just popped up and it's real big. It's very obvious what I'm interacting with. But then, like, the next tab should be, like, you know, is it to, like, a, a link? It should stay in there. And then you get in. Then it gets way more complicated. And I wish it just wasn't. But it does. It's, like, you know, are should you trap? Like, should that behave like a document, like a page you went to and tra- keyboard trap the focus so yeah. you never, like, leave the modal? Or, like, can do you go to the browser and then come back to the modal or whatever? And how do you do that? It's a little bit difficult and not always uh, super intuitive. Yeah, I saw a cool demo on well, it was a post on CSS tricks on how to the because uh, I, I think that focus trapping thing has our has always shunned me away from doing as good a job as I could here. So I'm like, how the hell do you handle that? You know. Mm-hmm. So the way it does though is like it has this focus within selector in CSS, which is not super widely supported so you can't count on this everywhere yet but it's a it was a clever idea that was like there's transitions on the whole form or or like the modal in this example itself so that when in the focus within is is active when any element inside it is focused so you kind of like have a transition on the modal itself that just does something trivial and doesn't matter, like a 0.001 second transition for a 1% shade difference in the background or something like that. So if that transition ever fires, you know that you've lost focus of the modal. So you're like, hmm, why is there nothing focused in this modal anymore? That's bad. I should be trapping focus in this modal. So what you do is you just write a JavaScript that targets the first focusable element in the modal and focuses it through JavaScript. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a neat idea that was like it forced it forced focus trapping in there, saying if you ever lose focus inside, then give it back. And it was like a two-liner, yeah. which felt good, you know? It was more than yeah, two lines, like six lines. But that would be... Yeah, that's cool. But hopefully, yeah, but you don't have it in every browser, so you don't really know. So Yeah, you can't. Not yet. That's another thing accessibility people like to get very upset about. Um, <laughs> unsupported things. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, it seems like, but if you use the, like, ARIA Hidden or 
hidden, just hidden attribute in HTML, which is what I've been using on my modals. Oh, yeah. Uh, like it should not be in the tab index is my thinking. But and then like only when you throw it up, like you like instantiate and create the modal, like that's where I would apply the tab index. And that's when I would focus, you know, like when it's like sure. pops, you know, and then and then you have a teardown state where you like remove all that. So um but but again, I don't know exactly what your code looks like, so I'm kind of guessing. But most ATs and and stuff, if it's display none, it's gone. It doesn't exist on the thing. So um, hey, we did kind of okay. I hope Luke Cooper writes in. I currently have a 2012 Mac Air, four gigabits of RAM, 128 gigabytes, uh, which solves website creation. Though it's getting a bit long in the tooth, but not for design stuff as well as I want. Choices due to budget, replace the Mac Air with a Surface Pro, which solves both, or go iPad Pro uh, to complement the Mac. Uh, I know Dave went Windows and was wondering, does he ever get the ping to go back to Mac for web design dev? I do not, man. I'm I'm feeling good on Windows. Uh, design stuff may, uh, may hurt you, but I've been using um, Affinity Designer. Hmm which is a pretty cool tool. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of like a Photoshop replacement. Um, it, it does have some like artboardy stuff, but it's not quite a sketch replacement sort Jeez, of thing. Figma. Adobe XD. Yeah. Figma, Adobe XD. Those would have. What's that. funny is that you're like, okay, so I'm going to, uh, I, I need to do design stuff better because my old computer is too slow for it what exactly like there's there's no, there's not enough detail there to to unpack this because you're like does it mean you can't run like photoshop or or like uh some kind of xcode or not xcode or what's the movie thing that apple has the point is like you can't just switch from mac to pc because your software doesn't just automatically come with that right so like, yeah yeah, I mean, with four gigs of RAM, you're going to struggle to load up um, Photoshop or Illustrator. I mean, those are just beefy, beefy, beefy. I wonder if you have a creative so, crowds cloud solution, though. Can you just like, if you switched from Mac to PC, do you can you just do you just get the Windows version automatically? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you just, well, that's nice. Yeah, it doesn't even care. So yeah, if you have creative cloud, you just say, "I don't use a Mac anymore. Delete it from my account, and it'll just do that." So. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I mean, I think the Surface Pro would be a good thing. I, I think any computer get. Uh, I'm always a fan. I'm I, this. I'd be curious what you do, but I'm like max out. Get the max out and hold on to that laptop as long as possible. Mm-hmm. That's how I approach things. I max um, out and then get a new one every year. <laughs> yeah, you max out, get a new one every year. Not every and, year. Uh, no, I'd say I get three. And then I'd say give I'd the old one to your partner. Yeah, three years. That- Just because I don't, I know, I usually wait for some kind of critical failure, unfortunately, but or like some new feature. I really thought this new one was going to be super cool with the touch bar and stuff, and I just could care less. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know um, if. Uh, I don't know enough about, I mean, the Mac Air is a good laptop. Um, I had an old 2012 Mac Air and I had to kind of ditch it just because it, the, like, like I couldn't do like a Google Hangout or anything because my fans would spin up and it would just start 
chewing through the processor and stuff like that. So that, that was kind of my limitation. Uh, so yeah, I would, you know, that's, that's my only issue with the Mac airs. I mean, I know the Mac books, right They're they're almost as thin as the air. Now you could get that. The MacBook pros are also there. Like make sure like, you know, with development, it's pretty CPU intensive, like NPMing, you know, I've noticed on my surface book, which is kind of the top of the line surface, it, it struggles to like NPM install because it's, it's, you know, on when it's on battery, it's like one tenth of the speed or three X slowdown or something like that. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's, it's again, it's kind of back to the previous, previous question, like the battery to CPU thing they've optimized for battery there. Um, you can like hit a slider wow. and make it better, but, but yeah, like everything good. is it. So like these smaller kind of thinner ultra light class, uh, uh, laptops, which is really great. They, they kind of have the, um, uh, they kind of have a slight limitation uh, for CPU intensive activities like development watch tasks. If you like do a lot of like Jekyll watch or SAS watch or node watch. I'm so <laughs> once in a while, I'm so ready or I think I'm ready or I'm enticed by like a souped up iMac or even a Mac Pro or like in the PC gaming world like stuff you got you know like build your own incredible PC that just absolutely smokes everything ever and power is just not a concern you know it's plugged into the wall and it just sucks as much power as it needs baby you know yep but I can't I cannot ha- not have a laptop my life does not afford it so I think I would uh I would buy a laptop that was probably like in between those worlds though. Mm-hmm. But I say that and I used to have a 17 or way back when, and I, it was too big. It was annoying. But I, the 15 feels like, yeah. eh, maybe I'd get like a 16, but it was, but I'd get, I wouldn't care how thin it was like thicken it up, baby, whatever you need to do. Yep. And then have that slider be part of somehow be like, always max it out. Like uh, this is going to be plugged in 92% of the time. So don't do any laptopy stuff. Just, Pretend like you're a desktop, you know? Like unplugging should be like the not not ideal state, you know? Like, right, like right. that should be the like But it's portable. It fits in my bag, but and but it's plugged in most of the time. Like when I that's what the pro line to me and this only suits my life. So it's not like I'm like, Apple, you're dropping the ball by not doing this. I'm like, no, this would be just for me. This is what I want. Is the pro line should be just beefy as heck. It'd just be like a desktop computer that just happens to be flat-ish, so it fits in my heavy backpack. No, no, I think that's true. I think it's like, like, well, I have that Surface Book, right, which is kind of the big, um, like, top-of-the-line Surface, you know, and the whole thing is like the detachable uh, display, which is cool and, and fun for kids, so it's like, oh, I have an iPad and a, yeah. you know, laptop, but I'm also like, how about I get the beefy one with the non-detachable display? Could you do that? Could you make a, that one for me? Because I'll, you know, and then I've even like, maybe I need like a, cause I have like my whole gaming computer or whatever, but, and it's, it's not a problem at all, except for when like, Oh, business trip coming up. Okay, cool. I got to go get, uh, now I have like a four hour project where I have to like, get the laptop back up to speed. And that's maybe some windows updates. That's maybe some like pull down repos. That's maybe some NPM angular, you know, all these installs, you know, just to get it like back up to speed with like what my desktop is doing. 
that kind of juggling between two computers is less than ideal. So I, I had thought like, oh, maybe I'll just switch to the Surface Book for like my day to day and just use my gamer gaming machine for gaming. But I haven't committed to that. But I, I, I'm but, you know, that said, I'm at my desk like 95 percent of the year. So like I can just sit here and I, I can do it all on my desk. And I know then, it's tempting to me too. Like, well, what about conferences and stuff? I'm like, maybe that's a chance to like unplug a little bit yeah and have an email yeah, like, bring your email machine but not your dev machine you know right and kind of you test out your cloud syncing of your powerpoints and and all that you just kind of hope it all works you know so but no i i, I like having a desktop so and if price is a concern it's pretty great desktops are pretty good so um anyway hopefully that helps i, I guess don't have like I, I still use Windows every day. Love it. Um, so If you're going to spend a couple of grand on Amazon, though, email me first so I can send you my affiliate link. Yeah, we could give you some uh, <laughs> nice uh, link uh, recommendations. <laughs> that goes for anybody for here, not, not just Luke Cooper here. If you want to spend a few grand. Run it through uh, Chris Coyier, <laughs> uh, Industries.Amazon.co. I will take your affiliate dollars. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Full Story. Full Story is a session replay software that makes finding and fixing bugs a cinch. So uh, uh, no need to like have a customer reproduce them or shoot their own video or something kind of sort of awkward like that, even though those can be super useful for finding bugs. This is how it works with Full Story. You install it on your website. It's incredibly easy to install. Uh, and it start, it's kind of like a DVR for, <laughs> for your website in a way. You're like literally can watch session replay of it. And it's not video. It's like a recording of the DOM. You're literally watching exactly what's happening uh, on your user's site. So let's say a bug happens, you're notified of the bug, you watch it, and then you're, you know, you're literally seeing exactly their environment and what's going on, and you can pop up in the console and see what error was triggered or what the heck happened to them, what they saw as a user of your website. It couldn't possibly be a better situation for like seeing through your customer's eyes, seeing exactly what's wrong, so you can fix it. Uh, uh, there's a story here from Dan D, the, uh, 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 the thread up VP of engineering who said they used full story, super quickly found a bug that's been stumping his team for a week. Oh my God, I've been there. I know. I know what it's like, Dan, who said, you know, they hadn't even thought to use full story, but they, you know, used a trial of full story, got it integrated, figured out exactly what was wrong, fixed it. So pretty cool. So you can get a 30 day free trial of full story. No credit card required. Go to full story dot com slash shop talk check it out very cool greg schrudel writes in about um he has a, a cms question what are your thoughts on keystone.js it appears to be the solution to the cms question do you think it's better than X- dude somebody solved it <laughs> this is great <laughs> well of course, that's, I'm sure Greg didn't, there's not a ton of context here. There was probably more in the original email, but I've been trimming these down lately to get to the meat of the question, but it's a CMS. There's a lot of CMSs. We've talked about CMSs a lot. Man, I feel like I should start a blog about CMSs because I love talking about CMSs. I think it's a fascinating world. Greg mentions like that kind of the best of breed in a way is craft, which I agree with. There, you know, I'm sitting in the craft office right now, so as I do every day because it's not really it's the code pen and craft office we share it here in bend oregon but i think it's uh it's pretty great i've i I, but but i get it like 
conceptually. Like I, I, I've looked at lots of CMSs in my life, but I, I haven't spun up and ran production sites in 15 different CMSs. I think very few, few people have. So it's one of those things like you see a poll, what's your favorite CMS? WordPress is going to smoke it on all of them because people, more people have used it. They're not like, it's not a poll of people who run 15 different production sites in 15 different CMSs. That's where the good, da- that's where you, how you would get good data. You know, like you can't vote in this poll unless you have 15 production sites on 15 different CMSs, you know, but nobody like that exists. So this market is very tricky, not to mention that they're just different, you know, like CMSs are just, oh, it's such a hard thing to talk about because you can't just be like, what is the quality level of this CMS? It is a seven out of 10. It's just too, it's too complicated of a thing. You can't just rate the quality of something like that. It's far too complicated with feature sets and the technology stack that it runs on and how it handles caching and how it handles user management and how the million different things that go into a CMS. A CMS is like talking about like, I don't know, what kind of food is best? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But here's the interesting part about Keystone. So it's worth talking about is that it looks pretty damn popular and it's built in Node and Express and MongoDB. You never see that. For yeah. whatever reason, yeah. CMSs are like PHP, MySQL forever. Even in 2018, that feels like to me that it's got a massive swath of the network, especially at the non-enterprise level. Like if, if you factor in enterprise too and give it extra weight or whatever because of the size of those websites or something, you probably see more Microsoft stuff in there or whatever. But at this, in general, like websites in the world that run a CMS, just like at the URL level, comparing what runs what, they're all PHP and MySQL. I don't. I can't mm-hmm. even name you a Ruby one. I'm sure there's a couple ones, but they're very, nobody does that. And so it's interesting. But I can kind of see how the, the popularity of a JavaScript powered one would be getting more popular. I can even see it in myself when I'm like, oh, static site generators. I like playing with those. These days, if I had to just pick one to start with, I'd probably pick one of the many nice ones that live in the JavaScript ecosystem rather than the Ruby one, like Jekyll. Like, I like Jekyll, but I'm like, yeah, I'd probably switch to... Oh, dear. I'll metalsmith it up or something. But those are all, you know, like, what, you know, there's plenty of, this is a whole huge topic, but what, what, what's everybody's problem with a database? You know, like, why can't you have a JavaScript, can't you have a nice environment, but still, like, leverage the power of a, of a database? And that, that's what this is. This is, you know, have a, a CMS powered in the JavaScript world, but, but don't forget about databases. And it like builds out like an admin UI for you. So you didn't have to write that all yourself. I, I think it's nice. I, uh, you know, it's funny. I looked at the get started, you know, sure. uh, you have to install node and Mongo yourself, which isn't the end of the world. Uh, Cause you have to like install PHP and MySQL or use MAMP or something. Okay. Uh, but then, then it uses Yeoman to install everything, which is kind of funny. I, I just, I haven't seen Yeoman like invoked in, in quite some time, but it makes perfect sense. Cause, a CMS is more or less. But it was it wasn't scaffold. it? On a, I think it might have been on a syntax uh, podcast the other day where they were talking about it, and they're like, um, you know, yeah, like somebody wrote in, "Is is is Yeoman dead?" And they answered like, "Well, it kind of feels like it, but I just used it the other day, so maybe not." Huh? Yeah, maybe not. But uh, I don't know. I think it just it, 
this looks okay to me. That's going to be my, uh, it, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's, the thing is any CMS is going to be trade-offs. It's like you optimize either for like the editing experience or the like data structure experience or, you know, everything's a trade-off. And so I think, you know, there's never going to be one ultimately the best, but it, this, the novel thing about this is it's written in node for sure. Um, yeah, you'd pick it for the stack. You'd definitely pick this CMS for the stack. It feels like to me. Yeah. Which you'll probably get some boost because Node's pretty fast. I mean, you know, like it it might be pretty fast and feel pretty modern uh, because of that. I think so it's that's smart. Good. I, even if they the, the people that behind, and I'm sure they didn't make it just because they felt like making a CMS or, uh, well, or maybe they did. You know, they had some need for it or whatever, but they... I, I would think that this could be a business play and that there should be a really well done CMS with this stack because the world is moving closer and closer to this stack. I wouldn't fault them for that. I'd be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get in the head. I'm gonna make the best thing on this stack so that maybe we're well suited to I don't know. Yeah, you don't have to spin up like a lamp server, you know, somewhere else. Like you don't have that like kind of cruff sitting around. I, I would say, you know. I think we've said it before in the past, but like a, a CMS is really live or die by the community around it. So if you know and and like the people who are getting involved in this uh, Keystone community, yeah. that then do that, like trail that. I think that's kind of the big thing. I, like WordPress is nothing without the the ecosystem, the plugin developers, and you know the people who pour their time and effort and to answer questions and things like that into Stack Overflow. You know, you saw it with like Expression Engine was a very big thing, but then like the licensing and the, like the failure to like release EE three or whatever it was, you know, kind of just late burden the product project enough to where somebody like spun out Craft CMS, which is great you work with them chris but uh in the same building but you know craft is is kind of a lot of the community kind of went with that it seems like and so while expression is i think is still around and you can still use it and still good software you know a, a lot of the the heart and soul sort of like drifted over to to the new product so um or the not new because it wasn't the same company but like the 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 alternative you know so I think that's I think that's something you have to be consider you have to consider when especially for a CMS like what's the community around it. So I think that's a very good point cuz you're going to it's just you're going to need help. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm very I, I hate to say this but be very skeptical of those CMSs that are just like one person's brainchild. They have one developer, you know, and you're like mm. I've built some of those and work, been working to get clients off of it because, yeah, it's just yeah. like that means I have to maintain. That's not good. So, This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by Pork Bun, where you can get website domain names for your business or personal brand with the lowest prices and amazing free services. So here's one they sell. This is about the best deal you can get on a domain name. Dot design, literally like so it's not dot com or dot net or the normal ones. You know, there's lots of TLDs these days, top level domains. Dot design is one of them, and lots of people use them. You know, there's Facebook.design, Uber.design, NPR.design, so many of them, Airbnb.design. Uh, uh, you can get one 
for literally free, so that's a pretty good deal. And it's not just like free just for the thing and they hook you into it. You get the email address, you get an SSL certificate, you get the whole nine yards for free. Go to porkbun.com, use the coupon code SHOPTALK and check out to get your free .design domain name. It's just so cool. You know, For there's the, uh, there really is a problem with not that many great .coms left. If you really need a .com, you gotta go weird with it and uh, and whatnot. But it's so great that there's so many of these TLDs that have opened up so this land grab crap is over. .design is a great one. I'm a big fan of, of having one. Uh, 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 codepen.io, for example. Forget the .com, you know? Get a cool TLD. Google doesn't care, you know? I don't know. I just think it's great. Go to porkbun.com, get a Absolutely free dot design one by using coupon code check, uh, shop talk at checkout. Fantastic. Uh, Adrian Stainforth writes in, uh, my feeling is if as a community that we can help particular, particular new devs ask, uh, assess the right tools rather than the whole is X better than Y, which is what we just did, then it will help a lot of JavaScript fatigue syndrome that's going around. How do you assess what tools, libraries, frameworks you use and uh, work out if it's the right for, thing for you? Yeah, what's your assessment? Less better, X is better than Y, and more, how do you assess tools? Yeah. Or the um, last Jeremy Keith talk was assessing technology in some way, wasn't it? Was it? Uh, I mean, we kind of talked about it. community is a big thing. Like, like, is there like, I hate to say like it's a popularity contest, but, but you almost need, there almost needs to be some critical mass around something, you know, uh, you know, is this something people are using? Does it look active? I mean, you do that at the the big level, like your your language or framework of choice, and then you do that at the micro level. Like, does is this gem even supported? Like, if I npm install this package, it, like, can I ask somebody a question about it if it goes really bad? You know, that that's something. Like, I think that helps me. I, I kind of not maybe like I don't like write a report about it, but I like, I just kind of assess that in my brain. Like I don't just like grab the first thing that solves my problem. Like, okay, I need fit vids. Okay. NPM install fit vids. Great. That worked. You know, like I, I kind of like try to make sure I, I figure out what I'm, what problem I'm trying to solve. So I don't know. Like I, it's, I think it's, maybe I'm reading the right blogs or something, but it, it seems like to me, there's not so much, crapping on other tools like most things i read have some nuance to them it's just you know i haven't read an article that's like react is better than angular period yeah php is yeah, better wow. than node period mm, i don't think that would go over very well thank god well a lot of it I, i've seen it a little bit in the uh the packaging bundling space, you know, it's like well, parcel came out and it's like zero config. And I think there's another one. Webpack you know, is better over Webpack is the best. Cause it does all of this and more. And we already had zero config built in. You just didn't know how to use it. And so like, I'm just, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. You see cool. it at a um, micro levels or this like, yeah. You know, so like you should be using glamorous for your styles. Cause it, the best solution to styling components, uh, maybe. And then it's like, oh, you should be using this 
style. That's a fake one. CSS I didn't know they didn't actually yes, say that. I know I named names there, but that was just I just invented that one in my. No, no, I and I I think that's or like you'd need to be using this or Gatsby's the best static sites generator. You know, you know, it's just like all these things kind of just pop up. You know, and and I think. I I don't know I don't know the answer to the, the Adrian's question exactly, but I, I do think it's important for any developer to have their own way of like validating technologies that are good. Like I would listen to the Jeremy like a, talk. It's actually called evaluating technology, and there's a May May. Oh, this is a year ago. So who cares? I mean, this, especially with the Jeremy Keith talk, they last forever. But look, just look up evaluating technology and maybe Jeremy Keith with it, and you'll see the talk. But he's got this point where there's there's two different worlds at work here, and one of them is developer experience, and the other one is is the user experience, and they're both worth considering. But 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 you kind of got to think heavily about that because some tools cross the divide. Like when you pick a tool like React, you're picking it f- because there's some developer stuff there. But that actually goes to the user. It's not a, you know, like they have to download a copy of React and your website needs to execute that copy of React to do its things. Whereas if you're working with Gatsby, Gatsby's also React, but it doesn't, it kind of doesn't matter because what gets produced there is static HTML files that go out to the user. And then that technology choice doesn't matter. You could have picked Hugo. You could have written that HTML file from, from scratch. You could have had some, uh, there's any number of tools that can produce an HTML file so that which tool you picked there only matters to the developer, whereas some tools that you pick only matter on the front end. Like, it kind of doesn't matter if you pick SAS. That's just for you. But it does mm-hmm. kind of matter if you pick a CSS and JS thing that's evaluated on the client and whatnot, because it crosses over into the land where that code is executing on your user's browsers. And it's not like one is better than the other. It's just like that you get that, there's two ways to evaluate stuff like that. So if, when you're picking tools, you know, think about that divide. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've done this at the micro level. I mean, I write a lot of like six lines of JavaScript posts or like that time I found out like four of loops were adding like 700 bytes per four of loop. You know, I just was like, oh, that's not, that's less than ideal. So, you know, like I just was like, oh, that hasn't my like solution on the like developer side transpiled through Babel and then had a side effect on the client, you know? So like it, it, there are, there are things we do that have like side effects and we maybe don't know about it. So you kind of have to like sort of evaluate really it's, it's yeah. I think that's really crucial. Like knowing how to choose technology, um, I can't say I've done it right 100% of the time because uh, I don't know. Part of it is not caring so damn much, you know, like, you know, not to undermine JavaScript fatigue or any kind of fatigue, really, but I don't know. If you're, if you're, you know, can you, can you step back and look at your work? Am I, am I making something that people care about? Am I making my clients happy? Am I making your users happy? I don't really care what the technology choice was that much. Right. Right. Like, do you just need to solve it like now (laughs) or like, do you have time to solve it? You know, take a longer evaluation route. That's another thing, you know, Um, you're not going to know every piece of software. So you really only are choosing between the things you know about, you know, so, uh, or we're able to Google, um, 
One thing I, I do look around for when assessing things is I kind of keep it in my mind. How easy is it to get out of this technology choice? Like, like let's say I built something in Angular and this has actually been my experience. Like, it, you know, you build it in Angular and then you're like, all of a sudden, like, okay, I, I'm done with Angular. I don't want to use it actually anymore. Like, can you back out of it? And, and for Angular, historically, like in the 1.0 days, it, it was really hard to kind of get out of it because you just littered your your HTML with all this stuff. And so... Um, don't you feel like that's like, literally every choice you make? So things are mm-hmm. so hard to back out of. You can't back out of a CMS that easily. You can't back out of react that easily you, like i looked react, at this you know yeah. like css blocks just dropped those looks really cool in certain situations i'm like you go down that road you're not leaving it you're in yeah yeah no well then that's i mean yeah you it, it, it's like basically it's like i better like it or else i have to recode it all so maybe that's i don't know uh it, that's a lot of work right yeah. like to have to recode something. So I, I always just kind of keep that in the back of my mind. Like, like what if we need to back out of this choice? So it's getting harder and harder. It was really, it's hard to leave stuff. Yep. Nope. Definitely. All right. We've got another one. Uh, hopefully we answered your question, Adrian, you should write a blog post on how you uh, assess technology tools, libraries, and frameworks. Tim Dunkley writes in as a front end developer, I keep a portfolio of websites I've worked on in the past. Historically, I would link to the production version of these sites. Uh, so anybody viewing the portfolio could actually see a working copy instead of pretty pictures. I'm starting to find a fault in that method though, as many of these sites slowly degrade over time. Uh, sometimes it isn't even that is degraded. It may just completely change from what I had built. So now I'm beginning of wondering, uh, if I should somehow be scraping each site and, uh, saving a local static copy for portfolio purposes. I hate to, no, no, no. We just told you not to say X is better than Y. Here's the best way to do it. (laughs) Don't even link to it. Screw the link. Nobody cares anyway. Just take some nice, classy screenshots of a handful of the most important pages. Put those on the thing. Write a couple of paragraphs, but don't go crazy. I don't need to know like what the weather was when you were picking the right color for the e-commerce checkout button or whatever. So I feel like sometimes these case studies are just insane. Write a couple of paragraphs of the most important things, the most interesting parts about the project or what you learned or how you solved an interesting problem or something and call it. That's a low attention span, really nice way to handle a portfolio piece. If it needs to be longer than that, I was uh, I don't know. I won't go on too long, but I, you know, I just saw Ethan put his, his feel like we bring up Ethan a lot, but he's an important figure in not only our lives, but the world of front end development period. High five, Ethan. He just redid his portfolio and it, it looks very nice. It's just a couple of screenshots and a couple of paragraphs kind of thing. And that's what got me thinking of that in a way. I'm like, what an elegant way to handle this. This will live forever. This doesn't need... It doesn't need more than that. I don't want to click over to the project. I know it's going to be a mess. I know they screwed it up after you left. Not your problem. <laughs> well, and, and the stuff you did on the project kind of matters more than what the final thing was. And maybe you did everything, you know. But, you know, you, you I would focus more on like, oh, I did all the code architecture. And maybe there's a 
snippet of some really awesome BEM CSS that just really nails how you did the architecture of the the CSS, man. Um, I, what one thing I would say is we always run into this like when we redesign our portfolio is like we have there's no way to see the site. I would actually recommend scraping it, but only for screenshotting purposes because a screenshot goes way better. Um, like scraping a few pages because we always end up like in this position where we only have like 1024 by 7068 pictures of the website and you're just like what do i do with this you know like or like that's not the great greatest crop or you know and so you can get like it it's nice to have like html you know so you can maybe get a little more squeezy uh you know different mobile views desktop views kind of get more views going on or loose a loose photoshopping of what your intention was, you know, without being dishonest, you know, that that's stuff we've done in the past too, for portfolio stuff, just because when, when the, the like production view just fell apart on day one, you just Photoshop up what you kind of were trying to do. Yeah. So, or what, what you handed off basically. So. Um, I think, you know, I wrote a little post about this. I don't think I published it yet about, just an idea I had because I tweeted it the other day and it got a lot of likes. So sometimes you know, that's a good blog post idea is to turn your best tweets into posts, you know? Yeah, you know, your A-B test. So I was out for lunch with Rob from Sparkbox because we were at, we were both down in Florida together for that conference and we were sitting there talking about stuff. And I remember, you know, we worked together years ago with a code pen redesign thing at Sparkbox. And one of the ways that we, you know, part of that deal was that we're going to write about the whole process. So there's... You know, to this day, there's codepen.csparkbox.com. We made a microsite talking about this, so it was kind of a, you know, an interesting thing for the industry to look at, but also in a sense a, uh, you know, an advertisement in a way for Sparkbox. Be like, this is how we work. Check it out. Here's a case study. You know, case studies are mm-hmm. are good business. You know, but it's custom designed. To you know, it's got this like month slider, and it's just a one-off page. Sometimes it's satisfying to just design a page like this that doesn't necessarily have to live within the entire world of the rest of your website. And they just threw it up at a, a subdomain, and I thought this was kind of cool because this can just last forever. When they redesign their website, they don't need to think about this. It just lives there, and it's fine, and it's got a link back to their main website, which that's a perfectly fine link that will last forever. There's nothing about this that needs to, to, to change, you know? So I th- kind of think that's cool. If yeah. you work on a big project, make it a micro site, toss it up at a subdomain, and then it just can live forever. And you know what? If it starts to look like crap, it, that project probably isn't super relevant to your business anymore anyway, and you can just kind of forget that it ever existed, you know? Don't stop linking to it. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I think like, I think that's awesome. Like, like frozen in time portfolios. Like that's great. Um, I, yeah, I, my big thing about portfolio is less like show the actual product. Although you should to some degree, but it's, it's more about telling what you did. What, what'd you do on this one? And that's what that redesigning code pen is. It's kind of like, here's what we did on this thing. Here are the people involved. Here's like what, how it got together. So, all right. Let's see. We got one more. Uh, I can read it. Oliver Williams writes in, it costs $352.52 a month to host a WordPress MySQL database on AWS, Amazon Web Services. That seems like a lot. 
I agree. <laughs> I found AWS great for hosting static sites, and I've been tempted to do an AWS certification to bulk out my CV. Uh, I see it mentioned on a lot of job profiles, even for front-end roles. However, this price tag has put me off of AWS. I've hosted sites on DigitalOcean and Linode for much less. What do you think? It's weird. Like, what is that number exactly? Is that the is that the absolute bare minimum it costs you to spin up one server of MySQL, or was that like your bill one month for a certain traffic of site, or like what? What? Where's that number coming from exactly? Yeah, and where are you doing, uh, like, on RDS? Isn't that the relational database? Yeah, but they have or? different things, too. Like, okay. RDS is certainly one of them, but don't they even have, like, an even newer thing? Or I don't even know. Yeah. Maybe that is the new thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so the way Amazon makes its money, right, is, like, charging per CPU cycle. They They have servers, and you put your things on the servers, and... They charge you per CPU cycles. The things about databases is they have to kind of always be up, right? Um, or anytime they get read from, yeah. they have to be working. But they kind of just have to be turned on. Well, that's one of the reasons you would put it on AWS is because it's going to be smoking fast and it's going to be super reliable and scalable. Mm-hmm. But I actually I have no experience in putting a... a database on They're pretty good AWS, look, look at this so. step one create a mysql db instance i just googled aws mysql step one in this step we'll use amazon rds to create a mysql db instance with db.t2 micro db instance class five gigabytes of storage and automated backups enabled with a retention period of one day as a reminder all of this is free tier eligible oh so if you need a five gigabyte database you could theoretically play around with this on MySQL. I think there's a, you know, at one point on CS's tricks, I'm like, you know what? I wonder if I could like get a smoking fast MySQL instance hosted elsewhere and shard it or whatever. And I had some, mm-hmm. I had somebody come in and do it for me, only to find out that it was the worst decision we ever made because the the DB was off network, and then my host charged me for like basically like a like network traffic that was off network so it was oh, like bandwidth yeah so my yeah. bandwidth bill was like seven thousand dollars or something and i was like what is happening and they're like oh that's because your database is like off on some other network now and that's causing incredible traffic for us and bad news and i was like well let's go back then that was really stupid so that might be a problem too if you have some other hosting where your wordpress site is and you're just like well i'll spin up an aws instance well now it's off network so but you could, you know, it's not like you could bring your web server over to AWS as well and play with it that way. But it's, it is more complicated, possibly more expensive, although it usually isn't. Uh, but, but, you know, whatever. Then you know, the whole point of that is like incredible scalability. I mean, think of even what they said in that one sentence is that you get these automated backups with one day retention period. That's kind of awesome. One of the reasons that you kind of feel safe on AWS because it's like this this date this super badass back database is you know like never going to go down and if, if anything goes wrong with it you have this one day backup that you kind of automatically get. It's like it feels safe, you know. Think of how many databases are out there completely unbacked up just waiting for something to go wrong and just having that data be trashed forever. Oh. Yeah. No, I well, so I think I think you can do it cheaper, but but no, it's confusing. I think maybe you should go ahead and pursue the like, you know, certification. I mean, I think 
a lot of companies need somebody who knows how to like finagle AWS. I, I don't even understand it to any degree. Um, so like being comfortable with that, deploying it, using it as an infrastructure. But like you said, like DigitalOcean is the sponsor of the show. So we should like disclaimer that, but you know, and then also having that knowledge of when like something like using DO or Linode or Heroku or whoever, like when using that is kind of the better, more friendly option or, or like, you know, it's like, well, if you use AWS, that's cool, but you have to pay me for the rest of your life, you know, but yeah. if you use DigitalOcean, like, cool, it's up There's there. There's definitely been companies <laughs> that are kind of banking out in Media Temple who hosts at the, the shop talk show and CSS Tricks for a decade that they occasionally sponsor this show and me and stuff too. So more disclaimers there, although this particular episode is not sponsored by them. They have a play to basically be your, you know, they have their own hosting stack, but what's the other, there's an Austin. What's the big, isn't there a big Texas company too? What's the Rackspace is like this too. They have their own networks, but more and more they're like, eh, don't use that. Use AWS and we'll be your like concierge to AWS. And the charge yeah, that like way. There'll be a UI in front of AWS. Basically. Yeah, maybe a UI or and maybe just, you know, like support, phone support. Well, and that's probably like a lot of what, you know, I think that's all Heroku really is, is like a UI for AWS. I mean, CLI, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, and a CLI. So, like, I, you know, and then uh, we should, Azure is probably another big player in all this. But so, like, you should, you have like a lot of options. Um, in but in being like an expert in like a DevOps expert in how that like okay what are you trying to do okay here's what I'd recommend for like easiest deployment or oh you want to do X Y and Z and you know okay well you you probably want this AWS with this Dynamo DB and all this blah 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 I don't understand there you go like like having that certification would be pretty good. I don't do the certification stuff, but I kind of wish I had in some areas. <laughs> like, I some people are like, I'm a Google yeah. developer expert. I would I'm say like, to somebody listening that I don't think I'm steering you wrong, but yeah, if you wanted to do well for yourself, if you became a literally an AWS expert, you're you're gonna do great. You'll do great. So, all right, well. Hopefully you are doing great. And uh, thank you for downloading this and your podcast. Your choice. Be sure to start favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Uh, follow us on Twitter at shop talk show for tens of tweets a month. If you hate your job, head over to shop talk show.com slash jobs and get a brand new one. Cause people want to hire people like you and Chris. You got anything else you like to say? <gasps> shop talk show.com.